0: Listening to Sports Econ 101, the show where we discuss sports topics from a business perspective. I'm your host, Edward Brown, along with my co host, uh, Russell Jackman. I'm not sure if Vern or FP are going to join us, Uh, we're trying to get them on the line. Um, at each commercial break, we are going to ask a sports trivia question. Today's uh, trivia theme is pitchers. And why? Because we have a special guest today, former Major League uh, Baseball pitcher, Scott Carl, who played for the Brewers, Rockies, and Angels. Did I do that correctly?
1: In that order, exactly. That order.
0: And it's what's kind of neat is that um, I, I found a little tidbit here that said that you used to wear number 42,
1: but yes, I it, did.
0: Yeah, and then when did that get uh, changed because of Jackie Robinson uh, uh, honor?
1: Uh, it was either 97 or 98 when, when Bud Seelig, the commissioner at that time, um, retired it. And But he, he did allow those of us that were still wearing it to continue wearing it. It just couldn't be handed out anymore. And I think, if I remember correctly, when that announcement came down, there were nine of us. Uh-huh. That still had it, and then by the time I was done, there were three of us. There was myself, Mo Vaughn, and Mariano Rivera. Gotcha.
0: And then did did you uh, did you wear it until you retired, or did you? I
1: wore it until I was traded to uh, the Rockies. I gotcha. I was still technically allowed to wear it, but the Rockies owner uh, was not willing to hand it out, and so I didn't want to make a big stink about it. So I just moved on.
0: You know, honestly, I think. I think if I were you I would have done this exact same thing because I think the way that it was being honored it would have been even though you did have the number and you had the right to wear it uh I think that was uh, uh, very forward thinking to kind of say you know what in respect for this I'll go ahead and, and change my number well, what did you change to
1: uh, I went to 19 which was uh my collegiate number
0: oh that's kind of that's always kind of fun all right yeah. um So we're going to talk a little bit more to Scott Carl in the next segment because now he's now a wealth manager at Access Wealth Management. Um, And this segment of Sport Econ 101 is sponsored by Pacific Private Money, still providing mortgage investments, currently yielding over 6% secured by real estate. Doesn't get any more conservative than that. Check them out at PacificPrivateMoney.com. Stay with us. Sport Econ
1: 101. I'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to Sports Econ 101. Again, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with my uh, co-host, Russell Jackman. I uh, don't know where uh, Vern is. Yeah, in... a lot of elbow room.
2: In, yeah, yeah, uh,
0: the... yeah. Sometimes one, one time we had like you know, five of us on there, and it gets a little bit too, too busy, so this is really good. Uh, our special guest is former Major League Baseball pitcher Scott Carl, who uh, played for the Brewers, Rockies, and Angels, and now is a wealth manager at Access Wealth uh, Management. Uh, again, Scott, welcome to welcome back to uh, uh, Sports Ecom 101. Um, so let's let's start off with with your career. Um, go ahead and tell us, you know, you, how did that start off and then we'll transition into how you transitioned over to, to uh, wealth management?
1: Yeah, no problem. Uh, Youth wise, I was uh, soccer and baseball all the way growing up. tried all the sports, but really loved those two. And um Went to high school in Carlsbad, California, which is kind of northern San Diego area. Got a, uh, had a couple scholarships, um, was really looking forward to some Pac-10 opportunities, but broke my ankle playing soccer my senior year, and those opportunities went away. And at the 11th hour, University of Hawaii uh, slipped in there on a referral from a former alumni, and they brought me over sight unseen, gave me a full ride, and it turned out to be a magnificent springboard um, left there after my junior year, uh, I was second team all American, and was drafted in the sixth round by the Brewers. And really sped through the minor leagues pretty quickly. I had a phenomenal year in '92 in rookie ball. I think I went seven and zero. Springboarded uh, to Double A. Great, but I've got to go with this other guy who's got, um, you know, some veteran leadership. And so we're going to send you back down. So of course I was not happy with that got in my car drove from phoenix arizona to new orleans as quickly as i could parked my car at the airport hopped a plane to omaha nebraska to meet up with the triple a team got in got to the field the next morning manager says hey really appreciate you getting here so quickly but i can't let you dress out <laughs> and of course i just lost my mind thinking i had just drove halfway across the country to get here and get going and he said the reason you can't dress out is because the guy you were battling blew out his arm last night in an exhibition game, so you're going to go up to the big leagues.
0: <laughs> so
1: that uh, so that gave me the goosebumps. And uh, so I met the team in Milwaukee to start the season, and I went up and down twice that year, but then uh, came up for the third time after one of the starting pitchers blew out his knee trying to field a bunt, took mm-hmm. over his spot, and then once he had healed up, um, he went to the bullpen. I stayed in the rotation, and that was that.
0: Let me ask you, from a, a mental standpoint, how is it when, you know, you, okay, getting getting the call up is awesome. It kind of reminds me of the movie, uh, The Rookie, uh, you, mm-hmm. you know, with Dennis Quaid. Uh, but how is it like, you know, you're, you're doing fairly well, but they send you down. What what goes through your mind at that time?
1: You know, that's kind of the That's. It is. I'll, I'll tell you. I won't. Uh, I won't bog us down in too many stories. But this one's pretty, pretty neat. The, the second time I went up, I was supposed to be the starting pitcher in Buffalo Triple A that day. And when I got to the stadium, the manager basically threw my bags at me and said, "Hey, Milwaukee's been on a road trip. They're getting their butts kicked. They're out of pitching. You're going now." Just threw me in my bag, Said, "Go to the airport. Hop a flight to Cleveland. You're going to pitch for them somehow tonight." So I'm race to the airport. I get to Cleveland. I show up in like the third inning. The clubhouse manager throws my uniform at me. He says, get dressed. Get out to the bullpen. They're going to need you. <laughs> I go out there. They put me in in like the eighth inning. Super tight ball game. Bases loaded. No outs. And I somehow got out of it with no runs. Oh, so, and awesome. you, you're talking Albert Bell, Kenny Lofton, <laughs> Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey. I mean, sluggers. Wow. Everywhere. So got out of it. And then the next night, they put me in the game again and it was almost like Groundhog Day. It was just basically the same situation, like bases loaded, no outs, late in the game, and I somehow got out of it again. So here I am thinking like I'm the best pitcher in the world. Oh, I can get the
2: fantasy uh, must be yeah.
1: wow. That that was a that that was in Cleveland, right? It was in Cleveland, so of course they weren't happy, but I was super happy. Yeah, I was going to say, they're all, and,
0: no, don't send this guy in again.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I thought, you know, heck, these guys are going to keep me forever if I keep doing this. And yeah. then I come to the field the next morning, and the beat writer stops me. And he said, hey, man, you you did absolutely phenomenal. It was so awesome to watch you pitch. And I said, thank you. And he goes, it sucks that they're sending you back down. And I said, what, excuse me? <laughs> and he said, oh, you haven't seen the manager yet this morning? I said, uh, no, no, I haven't. He goes, oh, you might want to go see him. So. I go in to see Phil Garner. He's like, Hey man, you did great for us, but uh, you know, we have a guy coming off the disabled list and I got to reactivate him. So I need your spot. So, yeah, I was like, okay, I, I clearly don't understand how this works because I thought I did great and I'm going back down. So I was back down for a couple of weeks until that other guy got injured. So yeah, it, it happens at that level. It's, it's very much a business as much as it is a game.
0: Yeah. Cause the thing is, you know, as a, I mean I and if I understand it correctly when you know you're first pitching the hitters have never seen you so you, you have a li- you do have a, an advantage don't you
1: Yeah I mean they have scouting reports or you know what yeah. limited scouting reports they have but yeah until they really see it firsthand and they see the movement and they see the speeds and they see the delivery yeah it, it's yeah. a little bit of an advantage to me but, and, and,
0: and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to you know you know I'm not trying to I'm trying not trying to diss you at all I'm just trying to get No get,
1: um, no, those are true statements. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. So then uh, it's weird because, you know, when we're watching as fans and we see certain players where we go, what's this guy even doing in the big leagues? You know, and, and <laughs> but he's still there, you know, whoever that person is. And you keep wondering, yeah. it's like, so guys like you who are doing really well, it's, you know, a lot of us, well, I guess the people who saw you pitch and then realize you weren't there are going, come on, bring this guy back up again.
1: Well, you know, I, I appreciate that comment. And yeah, from some perspective, that is true. But in reality, if you watched me on a long-term basis or you asked a, a Major League Scout or anyone who was like a true baseball aficionado, they would probably look at me and say, why is this guy in the big leagues? Because I didn't throw very hard. I was like a poor man's Tom Glavin. I, oh, mm-hmm.
0: you know, I, I hit
1: my spots. I changed speeds. I tickled the corners. I, you know, threw a lot of ground balls and stuff like that. Um, and I, I feel like I had a pretty good career at it. But, you know, in today's standards, you wouldn't see a pitcher with my profile really pitching in the big leagues. I didn't throw hard enough. I mean, I threw like 88 miles an hour.
0: Yeah, but, you know, finesse can do it. It's so funny. That reminds me, when I had Billy Bean on one time, uh, I, I, I I was teasing him. And I said, you know, I you know, should try out for your team. I said, I can throw in the high 60s. You know. <laughs> I said every pitch would be an off speed pitch, you know. Uh, it
1: certainly would. No yeah. yeah. sense of
0: humor though. He had the laugh. he could just kind of well, I don't think so. <laughs> 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 yeah. I'm, I'm kidding, you know. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's funny. Yeah. yeah, no, it was you know, you're right though. It it was a it was a change of pace compared to some of the harder throwers that we had, but you know, back then there weren't there weren't there were more of us then. Than there. I mean, Tom Glavin threw that way. Yeah. Um, Jamie Moyer threw that way. I, we had a couple pitchers on my team that threw that way. And, you know, if you could hit your spots and you could change speeds and, and, and really the art of pitching, you could make a career out of it. And I had a couple or, yeah, I had at least four of my six years were really solid statistical years. So.
2: Okay.
0: Very good. Okay. Do you feel ready. that the art – Oh, oh wait. Sorry. Hey, Russ, Russ, yeah. you know, it's so funny. Oh. You, pipe, you pipe in first now, right? And we're kind of cutting to a break. Let's ask our trivia question. When we come back, remember your question. All right. Here we okay. go. Here's our uh, trivia theme is uh, pitchers. And by the way, uh, Scott, if you know the answer, don't say anything till we get back. All right. Uh, all right. Which, which pitcher was the first pitcher to sign a $100 million contract? That's our trivia question. Email edward at sportsecon101.com. The answer to this question, which pitcher was the first pitcher to sign a $100 million contract and see if you know the team also. All right. Stay with us. Sports Econ 101 will be right back. Bye. one, 101 edward brown here along with my co-host russell Jackson, who didn't say much in the first segment no, first two segments but we'll say something here and our special guest scott carl uh okay guys uh first trivia question which pitcher was the first pitcher to sign a 100 million dollar contract
2: i'm gonna
1: guess doc Gooden.
2: no no they, they was no
1: yeah i would say it's i would say it's after that i would say uh, let me give you the year 1998
0: uh, no actually it was Kevin Brown when he signed with oh yeah Dodgers.
1: that's right yeah Browning with the Dodgers that's yeah. right yeah
0: all right uh, Russell, you wanted to ask on a question
2: yeah um, well if I was gonna I'll, I'll make it a compound one uh, with the new deal that they have um, they're getting rid of uh, they, or they' they're adding in the designated hitter. And since you played on both teams, both leagues, I wanted to see what your thought was of the, um, you know, of pitchers no longer having to bat and, and what sort of implication that may- means for the game. And is it something that you think is going to benefit pitchers or do you think it's going to make it more difficult? Because on the one hand, pitchers don't have to bat anymore, but on the other hand, means that that normal soft spot of the lineup where you have an easy out, you
1: don't have that anymore as a pitcher.
0: Hmm. And, and by the way, you had a couple of home runs too, didn't you?
1: I did. I, I had two home runs, and I think I might have even had a triple in there somewhere. So, yeah, I. I so, Russ, that's a, that's a really good question. And I do have a, a, a strong opinion about it, but I, I may find myself in the minority here in that um, I, I don't like the DH. Um, I like hey. being a part. Yeah, I liked being a part of the game. I liked the strategy of it. I liked personally participating and I took pride in my bunting and, and you know, moving the runner over and doing whatever I could to help the team, which would, of course, help me since I'm on the mound. Um, I didn't like, you know, just coming in and sitting and, and, you know, not being a part. I just felt disconnected from the offensive side of the game. So I, I like that. I understand why the union would want to push for it. It is an extra job for an extra player. Um, but I just, I liked that part of the game. I liked that strategy. I liked you know, maneuvering the bottom part of the lineup. And if need be, you know, pitching around somebody so that you could, you know, statistically put yourself in an advantage and make the hitter or make the pitcher have to beat you with their bat. And, Hmm. and so, I mean, it hurt me sometimes because there were times where I got pulled out of a game, you know, late in the game, because uh, you know, there were runners on base and the manager felt he needed a bat instead of me. And so, I, I lost out on pitching an extra inning or two, and so that's unfortunate. But again, that's strategy, and and you know, without getting too high up on my soapbox right now, I, I feel like there's a lot of strategy missing in today's game. So I I would have liked to have seen the DH uh, actually go away completely, uh, but at a at a minimum, just have seen it stand the way that it was. But you no, know, oh I, well. I
0: gotta I gotta say that it was it was it's definitely really fun when you can uh when you have a pitcher who is talented for either bunting or speed or can hit i mean like like madison bumgarner you know uh, a good hitter and i remember the yep. old days blue john blue moon odom sometimes he would actually come in as a pinch hitter uh yep. and that's how good a, he was with the bat uh and, yep. and people don't realize how difficult bunting really is
1: oh yeah i mean i it's, it is. You have to practice it. I mean, you're, you're basically turned and you're looking right at the hitter and he's throwing it. And, and it's you're not looking out the side of your eye. You're looking right at it. And it, yeah. if it is off the line and it's coming right at you, it, it's it's pretty freaky. And then you have to have the finesse to not, like, make too much contact with it. Because, obviously, if you bunt it too hard, you could be hitting it right to somebody who's going to double you up in a, in a heartbeat. So.
0: Oh, that's got to be – that's got to be just a, taking the wind out of your sails when, when that happens.
1: You know? Oh yeah, I mean you you feel you feel like you've let the team down. You've uh, you've probably like just squashed a rally. You've you've done all kinds of negative feelings to it, and that's why it was just uber important to like really practice that trade because the flip side of it is like you get that down you move that runner over the next guy gets him in you win by one run and it was it's that run it's that run that got you the win
0: and I can also see why they don't why they're you know like the police say the players union you know you're also kind of uh, protecting the pitchers from getting hurt be it from running or getting hit with a bunted ball you know that sort of thing I mean I I yeah yeah
1: yeah. I mean, there, you can, I think that's a weak argument though, because I mean all through little league and, and even yeah. up till college, I mean, your pitchers are typically best. your best players out there on the field. And so we, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not non-athletes or anything. That's we that's are bad. athletic. Yeah. So no, I'm not going to run a four, four down the line or anything, sure. or um, you know, but I, I, I'm not going to be stupid enough to like blow something out or, yeah. you know, I, I, I understand my, my first job is to pitch, but um, yeah, I mean, or, or, you know, getting hit by a pitch. I got hit by pitches and that sucked. It hurt, but I don't know. It's just, it's kind of part of the game. I, I just yeah. liked personally being part of the game in that manner.
0: Yeah. As long as it doesn't hit your pitching hand, you know, that it's not as bad, but
1: uh, have yeah. you, have you
0: ever suffer any, uh, uh, fairly major injuries while you're
1: playing? Um, well, I, I got hit by a few line drives coming back at me. Like Don Mattingly hit a line drive off my shin, um, Sean Casey hit a line drive off my hip bone. Um, oh, Don Mattingly
0: because he, I remember a statistic about him that he was, uh, he had only hit like 19 uh, pop-ups in his, in his career. That's how good a contact hitter uh, he was. So <laughs> and you were on the receiving end of one of those.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I very much received it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a hitter out of Montreal, uh, Shane, I cannot remember his last name, but he hit a line drive right back at my face that I barely blocked with my pitching hand. So oh. that could have been ugly, but, um, you know, that was, Thankfully, I got away with that one with just some bumps and bruises. Um, I tore the cartilage on my on my toe, um, pushing off the mound throughout the season. ended up having to have surgery on that one. That was pretty good. But I got away pretty easy as far as, like, arm injuries go. I had constant sore shoulders like any pitcher would, but I didn't have any of the Tommy John elbow issues. So, gotcha. um, yeah.
0: And, and um, what, most of your career was as a starting pitcher?
1: Yeah, other than that that first few months uh, with Milwaukee and then my last um, season, I did a couple stints in the Colorado bullpen and the Anaheim bullpen, but predominantly as a starter. And,
0: I, you know, without looking at all, all your career online right now, um, were you on any good, you know, any good uh, competitive teams?
1: Unfortunately, no. Uh, Milwaukee, I don't think we ever finished above 500. Um The Rockies, we were, I think, in first place at the All-Star break, but we kind of faded in the second half, unfortunately. And then Anaheim, that was actually a really good team. I could tell that they had the components to really be a, a good team. They had three rookie pitchers that were on the rise. They had a good blend. Of, of veterans and, and younger players out in the field. They had excellent management. They had uh, Mike Sosha, first year manager. They had Joe Madden as a bench coach. They had Bud Black as a pitching coach. I mean, like good baseball minds. And so turns out they won the World Series two years after mm-hmm. that. And you could just kind of see all the pieces that were there. So that was probably the closest. Gotcha. You
0: yeah, know, that's always kind of hard to like be off the team for a couple of years and then, you know, <laughs> then, they, then they win it. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Russ, do you want to uh, pop in here and ask a couple questions? Because uh, I, I do want to, well, let's go ahead and transition into the business side of things. So what, because we've got like two minutes before we get to a break, and then we'll have our last segment. Um so what happened after you know at some point it was it your decision to walk away from the game?
1: Well, I not not due to lack of effort. I I was let go by the Angels and then I went to spring training with the Padres, who then let me go. Um, I took a minor league open ended contract with the Pittsburgh Pirates, um, which allowed me to pitch for their AAA team. But if any big league team wanted me, I would be free to go and and you know. So that was a very good opportunity. And I statistically was pitching very well. But again, my velocity was falling down to like 84, 85, and it just wasn't appealing uh, to the clubs. Um, And so I didn't get any invites. And so I decided to retire at that point in time. I think that was maybe June or July of of
0: 2001. Wait, but let me ask you something, though. To me, I don't care if you can throw 25 miles an hour. It's statistics. You know, if, if you're winning, if you you know, if you're, which by the way, if you're pitching when you were pitching in Colorado, that's probably the hardest between that or, or Chicago Cubs, right? Because yeah. of, the, of, the, of the elevation and how, you know, how many? Home oh yeah. There? No,
1: it, Colorado was, it was difficult and I I'm with you. I don't think velocity is everything, but uh, many teams did feel that way. And so even though I could make the ball move and I could still hit my spots and I could change speeds uh, they just didn't feel like there was enough velocity to make it work. So. Yeah, because,
0: I mean, look at Tom Candiotti, eh? all the knuckleball pitchers, you know, they, they don't throw. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Hey, like, we're going to cut to our second uh, second trivia question. Which team was the last team to have four 20-game winners? And, again, we're talking uh, baseball pitchers. That's our theme today. Which team was the last team to have four 20-game winners? All right. Uh, email edward at sportsecon101.com the answer to that question i'll give you a hint it is it was a team that was in the 1970s so there have not been four 20 game winners and obviously the game has changed quite a bit in the last uh you know gosh that's oh my gosh that's going almost 50 years now <laughs> yeah um, it seems like yesterday you know yeah. um, okay all right stay with us sports econ 101 I'll be right back back to Sports Econ 101 one more time. I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Russell Jackman, our special guest, former Major League Baseball pitcher Scott Carl. Second trivia question, guys. Which team was the last team to have four 20-game winners? And it happened in the 1970s. And if uh, you can't – I'll give you a hint. 1971.
1: I'm going to guess the Dodgers.
0: No, it was the uh, Baltimore. I'll guess the A's. No, it was the Orioles.
1: Orange. Oh, yeah. so it, they
0: just won the nineteen seventy. Well, okay. Yeah, right. Because right, they, I'm trying to remember. Because uh, the Pirates won in seventy one, the Orioles won in seventy, and okay. uh, the amazing Mets in sixty nine. Okay, um, all right. Uh, so Scott, um, okay, so we're we're fast forwarding now. Uh, you're you're realizing it's time to hang up the cleats and the pitching glove. Uh, what what was the transition at that point?
1: so the the first year was essentially pouting. Um, I was not mentally prepared to be out of the game. I was thirty years old and thirty years old as a starting pitcher is usually your prime but yeah. um, and nobody wanted to offer me the job so it was I spent the first year I played golf like six days a week I Didn't do much of anything, but I couldn't even watch ESPN. I'd see somebody pitching, and I'd pitched against them the year before, and I'd beat them. And I'm like, "How do they have a job and I don't?" So it was, it was tough, and I wrestled with it a lot. But after a while, I got used to it. Um, I had a buddy. Let me me interrupt for a second. Um,
0: Had you had a decent bank account though?
1: Well, so. I appreciate you asking that. So I, I did make quite a bit of money, what I felt was a, a good amount of money in baseball. Um, but I unfortunately made the majority of my money in 2000, so the the dot com crash year. Oh. And and I had an advisor that uh, was not minding the shop, oh. and what did not take my uh, best interests at heart, and he kept. And I, I was an intelligent person, but I was really busy on trying to save my career, and I wasn't paying attention a lot. And he kept investing in all the high-flying techs as they wow. were falling off a cliff. And when I finally looked up, I would say a good 60-something percent of my funds had been lost. Oh, my gosh. And uh, and so I obviously immediately fired him and took it all back in myself and I was an accounting major at school, so I, you know, I liked numbers, and so I just tried to sort of right the ship and, and you know, get everything back, and, and so I managed my own money for quite some time, um, but I didn't really go into the financial advisory world in the beginning. Um, I wasn't really a huge hunter and gatherer, um, as strange as that sounds, because it is kind of a requirement in our business, but I, I guess I didn't like being hounded to manage my money when I played. And so it felt weird for me to hound other people for their money. But so I took a route through the mortgage industry. I I did just about every different job in the mortgage industry and transitioned from there to venture capital. And I was in venture capital doing due diligence and fundraising and so forth, and then was offered an opportunity at a financial advisory firm who wanted to uh, get rid of, of one of their advisors and have me take over that book and service it. Which I thought was the best way to enter the business. So I got my licenses very quickly, um, took over, retained like 97 percent of those clients for the firm. They were very uh, appreciative of that, and then I just kind of grew my book through them. We we sort of parted ways about five six years ago, and now I've been on my own, independent, sets them with with Access Wealth, and, and I love it.
0: So let me ask you, and again, uh, we, we talk the same language because I, uh, I got my bachelor's de- degree in accounting and a master's degree in tax. So we, <laughs> we can relate on that. Uh, how easy was it to um, use your, quote, stardom of, of being a baseball pitcher? In one respect, I could see it would really help. In, in another respect, there may be people who are dealing with money who would, you'd have to kind of really prove yourself because people just have this assumption about athletes.
1: Yeah, no, they think athletes are, are you know, uh, they can think a lot of things, and, and some of them aren't very good. But um, I, I never really led with that, honestly. I don't I don't know if it was just my upbringing or whatnot, but it it, it feels weird to lead with, oh, I was a, a major league baseball player, um, yeah. you know, because that was a part of me. It's not who I am. I feel like yeah. I'm an intelligent person who, you know, Handles his own finances very well and wants to handle yours very well. And oh, by the way, I did play major league baseball, and so I have been around a, a lot of high net worth individuals. I've I've experienced a lot of um, emotions. I've I've dealt with high pressure situations, and I think all of those those uh, experiences would help me very well, you know, in in business with okay. you. And and so. I, I never, I never really lead with it, but when it comes out, I'm not shy about it. I, of course, talk about it, and it was a great part of my life, and uh, and so I think that um, it being a part of me and not my entire existence um, is is very helpful.
0: And do you uh, do you still stay in contact with some of uh, your former teammates or just other players you are familiar with?
1: Uh, more so lately. I, I would say over the last five years, there was there was a big sort of chasm there after I left the game again because I was pouting and upset with it, and I just kind of walked away from it completely. But um, over the last five years, I've really kind of reintegrated into some charity golf tournaments where I've seen some of my former teammates and and uh, adversaries, and, and it's great to kind of reconnect over this time. I've done... Um, Fantasy camp for the Brewers, where I was one of the coaches and had an absolute blast doing that, and can't wait to do it again. And so, yeah, it's it is nice to sort of reimmerse myself amongst amongst the guys and and be a part of that fraternity.
0: Well, you know, it's kind of neat you mentioned about the golf, and because uh, Russell has uh, come with me on at least one occasion. Um, so, I uh, we get asked every year, except for COVID uh, situation. Um, it was the Joe Morgan uh tournament now it's the joe morgan memorial tournament unfortunately Mm -hmm. and they have all kinds of famous athletes from yesteryear uh, come and play golf and it's uh it's a a charity thing and it's very it's really uh it's a lot of fun what we do is we we get to host the tent um, and the guys will come, and I'll actually do the show at the, at the golf tournament, you know, and uh, hey, Rick Berry, come on over, and Tony La Russa, come on, over, Vita Blue, come on, you know, and so they'll come and we we'll talk just like we're talking here, and then it's kind of fun because I get to play golf with them afterwards, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. Wally Joyner uh, puts on oh, yeah. a really nice one down here in, in Orange County area, which yeah. uh, helps to benefit a children's hospital up near Long Beach, and so he gets a lot of guys to come through there. And that's where I've been able to reconnect with the, some of them. And so that's been a really fun one.
0: And uh, were you, was he on the Angels at the same time you were?
1: Not the same time. I mean, yeah. he was there, but not we weren't together. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Well, I was going to say that with him, I mean, with you being on the, the Angels, uh, the, for two years, was it?
1: Uh, no, I was only with the Angels for about six weeks. It was the very end oh, of 2000. Oh,
0: gotcha. Because you're you're yeah. sort of in that you're in this, excuse me, the Southern California area, and you know you think that like when you're in the area of a team you're playing with, like again, Wally Joiner played for the Angels, and he's down in in Southern California. That there's a, a big connection there. Um, yeah,
1: no, we just I mean we we just through the fraternity we know quite a, the same few people, and I I I think he had some some openings at his tournament, and and didn't know who to call, and somebody said, hey, you know, give Scott a call. He's a decent golfer, and so he called me and. We hit it off, and I joined, and then I got invited back and invited back. So it's very kind of him.
0: Wow, well, very good. Um, and does I'm trying to think now? Does baseball do they have pensions?
1: They do, yes. They do. And it's it's a very very good pension. I'm I'm technically eligible to draw it now, but it, it works sort of like an annuity, where if you take it younger, it's not as much. Yeah. If I wait like until I'm sixty. Yeah, so if I wait till I'm 62, that's my, my full age pension, in which case then that's the max number I can receive.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, it's funny. I, I just turned. Now, to... I, I, I... Go
1: ahead, Russ.
2: Oh, I just wanted to say in this recent lockout and deal that's happened, who do you think was the winner or loser? Or do you think both sides won? Do you think both sides lost? What, what's your thought in the the most recent lockout and the resolution to it? Uh,
1: that's a good question. I you know I tried to stay apprised of it and and the and the really important topics that that came from it, but I I guess I I kind of got frustrated at both sides in the fact that they they couldn't work this out uh, faster than they did because I was on a couple of those negotiating committees when I was the player representative for Milwaukee. Yeah. And, and so we were able to kind of get the job done and, and stave off any kind of uh, stoppage and play. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think it's about an equal ground um, just again, from the outside looking in, I, I still have yet to talk to a couple of, of people that I know uh, are more familiar with the situation and sort of get their take on it. But as far as I can tell, um, it was it was probably a draw, and and that's even more frustrating because they could have probably come to a draw a lot sooner. I think the one thing that really tends to bother me is the time that lapsed between when the owners locked out the players to when the owners actually came around and to have a meaningful conversation. There was a huge gap in yeah. time there, which which I don't understand at all. Like that that makes no sense to me whatsoever.
0: Just, trying to it was just
1: to ratchet it all up
2: and to, to make people even like you know public more yeah. urgent you know and, and what really was sad is that a lot of the uh spring training cities lost millions of dollars in tourism that you know major league baseball is not lifting a finger to recompensate anyone for their loss well, of not
1: getting a spring you, training you're right that's that's a great point and i i it just appeared to me like the owners had a very defined plan. They, they did the lockout when they did, they went radio silent for as long as they did. They just, it was very calculated on, on their side. And so I, I don't like that. It doesn't sound like it's a sort of a mutual uh, process in that manner. Um, And then to your point, yeah, the, the, the people that lost out the most are those cities that host the spring training and the fans. I mean, the spring training is probably one of the best opportunities for fans to get up close and personal. You know, they, they can get closer to the players to have that kind of access that, that then feeds a, a fever. Like, Hey, that's my favorite player now because, you know, I got to talk to him or high five him, or he gave me a ball, or it's a memory that's created for the, the, the yeah. younger generation. And that, that was missed because during the season, it's, it is more difficult to get an autograph or to get some quality time around the players. And so that's that's an important part of the game that they just completely dis- discarded.
0: Yeah, I remember going to spring training a lot uh, a few years in a row. And, and it was so much fun because it was, you know, you cared, but you didn't care, you know? Uh, yeah.
1: Was you know, it, it was- I mean, I loved spring training because I pitched my one day and then I went and golfed the other four. And I just, got myself ready for the season and the weather was great in, in the yeah. Phoenix Valley. So um, I loved spring training and, and it was, it was fun to shoot the breeze with the fans and, and, you know, just have the more relaxed atmosphere. Cause you know, once the season begins, it's all about wins and losses and keeping yeah. your job and doing all that. So it's nice to have that sort of reprieve beforehand.
0: And I get, yeah, I got to think that, uh, you know, we're, we're doing the situation with the owners is kind of tough because once you, you come out of it, there might be still a little bit of angst between you know, players and, and ownership. None of how often you there don't always
1: know. is. Hopefully, hopefully it'll back down, but there always is some.
0: All right. And by the way, I just turned 62. So I, I uh, went on social security looking at social security and I realized if I make any social security, I give, give it all back. So For me, it doesn't make any sense to take it right now. All right. Uh, Here's our third trivia question. Now, this one is a little easier. I figured I'd give you guys an easier question. Name the pitcher who served up Joe Carter's World Series winning home run in the 1993 World Series. You guys will know that one. Okay. Answer when we get back. Stay with us. More TECOM 101. We'll be right back with some closing comments. Don't touch that dial. Back to Sports Econ One Hundred and One. Last time for today, I'm Edward Brown, your host, along with Russell Jackman, our special guest Scott Carl. Okay, guys, uh, name the pitcher who served up Joe Carter's World Series winning home run in the nineteen ninety three World Series. Go ahead. Scott. I'm going to go
1: with I'm going to go with Mitch the Wild Thing Williams. That's
0: exactly correct. Yeah, in fact, if you remember, he was also the pitcher who uh, gave up uh, the base hit to Will Clark, uh, mm-hmm. right, to get him into the um, I think it was a get him into the World Series. Or yep. Yeah, and it's funny because that was the one time. That's actually why, if I'm not mistaken, that's the reason why now uh, everyone talks into their mitt because Will was able to read the lips of Mitch. You know, it's going to be okay. Fastball inside.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. That that could have easily been it because I know that that it was right around then when people started to cover their mouths.
0: Yeah, and that's without all the cheating of. Uh, you know, the Astros and all that
1: other Oh, stuff. yeah, that's a, that's a whole nother show. We'll wait for
0: that <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know what? We're going to have you on another time to talk about all the stuff that the, the uh, typical audience uh, uh, for the fans, like, have no idea what really goes on. All you right. And, and uh, before we cut out for our thoughts today, again, we want to thank uh, our special guest, Scott Carl, former uh, baseball pitcher. Uh, okay, here's our thoughts for the day. So I got thrown out of my local park after arranging the squirrels by height. They didn't like me critter sizing, uh, but I'm bumps okay. okay. Russ loves when okay. I come up with these dad jokes there. Burn usually laughs at them. Okay. And I hate it when I think I'm buying organic vegetables, but when I get home, I discover they're just regular donuts. All right. Tune in next week to Sports Econ 101. We'll be discussing sports topics from a business perspective and asking more sports trivia questions. Thanks for listening. On behalf of our team, I'm your host, Edward Brown. We'll see you next week. Adios.